Hey, welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today, we have Angela Duncan on the show. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. So glad to be here. Absolute pleasure. Why don't we start off the podcast with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah. So um, I like to start with my childhood. I am a survivor of childhood trauma and abuse and moved around a lot. So we were in poverty and I just didn't know anything about money. And so when I left the house at 18 years old, I was on a mission because I never ever wanted to live in poverty again. And so I have been studying personal finance for about 25 years now, and it is time for me to give back. So that's kind of where Empower Her Money came from. And I, I would love to share more about it and see what questions you have, John. Absolutely. Now, you also wrote a book about this, right? Like that's, yeah. And, and let, let's get into the what made you decide to write a book and then we'll get into everything else coming with it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was writing the book, um, I had an amazing um, couple people that helped me with the book writing process. And what you find out most times when you write a book is your why. Why are you writing this book? What is your audience? What, is, what do you want to you know, accomplish from the book? And so what I realized during the writing process is that if my mom had had the proper financial education, then perhaps she would have been able to leave the situation. Maybe I wouldn't have gone through the abuse. Maybe I wouldn't have lived in poverty. So my mission is to make sure that other women are never stuck in their situation. I want to teach them, empower them um, about either basic finance or investing, you know, whatever the questions are around money so that they have the opportunity to take control of their own finances in their own life. And they're never stuck in a situation because they just don't know where to go. That's uh, very interesting. And that's a, a great perspective, actually. Um, I love your drive and what appeals to me is the fact that uh i mean let's be frank i mean that uh what you described there is a horrific thing that could happen to anybody and no one especially a child should have to either understand that's the fact that they're in poverty or go through any form of abuse and mm -hmm. that's just terrible i mean like i grew up and uh where my parents could have been rich or broke. I didn't know. I had my life. They uh, made sure I was not oversheltered. I was uh, well aware of my surroundings. Don't misunderstand me. But sheltered to the point that it, my parents' burdens were not my burdens. Mm. And, and I believe that's the way it should be for any child. Mm -hmm. But obviously, circumstances can sometimes dictate the opposite. And that's just tragic. Now, where I'm going with this is that there's two types of people that come from this. And what I mean by that, there's the ones that play victim. And they're victim their whole lives. It's just like they can't mm -hmm. break that pattern. Mm -hmm. Then there's the ones that turn around and say, okay, it stops here. N enough is enough. And then they do something about it. And they become what we call survivors. Mm -hmm. And you're clearly that survivor. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you for that one. Thank you. It's not easy. It's not easy. You know, it really is a decision that you have to make. And because I made it at such a young age, it is something that I continue every day. You know, I will never forget where I came from. And the fear mentality still sticks with me sometimes. The negative mentality still sticks with me sometimes. But I have to choose every day to be different. I have to choose every day to continue to move forward. And there are days that are down. There are days that are up. And, you know, so if anyone is listening and they feel like they're stuck or maybe they came from a hard place or weren't taught, you know, the proper financial or money information, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who taught you. It doesn't matter what you know. It really matters what you decide to do today and what are you going to do tomorrow. And you 
are the person that's responsible for that. And you have to take control of your own life. And even if you get knocked down and know that, you know, especially with social media, you know, people's lives look amazing and perfect. And I'm here to tell you they're not. And it's just a choice that I have to make every day to continue my education, to continue to serve and give back. Because if I don't do that, then all of what I went through and all of that I've learned you know, those are my God given talents. And for me, I have a responsibility now to share it with other people to help them not have to go through what I did. Or if they have gone through that, then help them decide a different life and hopefully be a contributing member of society. But it really does come from your mental, your your mindset, and you do have control over that. Yeah, what I love about what you said there is you brought up a point here, right? Like, I mean, social media could be very, very, aside from addictive, it could be very manipulative. And nobody turns around and wakes up that day and today, I got abused today. Nobody does that, right? You see the best moments in life, right? Like you see them like, oh, look at the first car I got. It's so gorgeous and pretty, whatever. You don't see what went behind that. You see, oh, I'm on a boat. Sometimes it's not even their boat. They make it sound like it's their boat. And it's just sort of that almost the presentation is that raw, raw presentation, Mm -hmm. but you never see anything behind the curtains. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to be manipulated that way and, and to believing that somebody else doesn't have, didn't go through what you went through, didn't have their own issues and life is just so easy and it's all happening to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're bringing up the point that even for the people in the best of times don't have best of times every day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes everybody goes through shit mm-hmm. for a lack of better description. Mm-hmm. And not every day is raw, raw. Some days, you know, some days suck. They stink. You know what I mean? And you got to keep moving forward, like you said, and keep picking yourself up. That that is, a, that is an absolute beautiful message because it is so raw and true. Yeah. Yeah. And on those days too, you know, what I like to think is if I'm having a down day or maybe I'm in a rut or my creativity is kind of stuck, then I figure out a way to go help somebody else. Because I know that when I'm serving other people, then I'm helping other people. And it just puts me in a very grateful state of mind. And then it allows me then to get back to a good place and reminds me, you know, that I am grateful for this life and that I've come so far. And the more people I can help and impact and be on purpose with my life, then the more grateful I feel. And it really opens up my creativity. It really opens up, you know, my mindset. It brings back that positivity. Um, and, and like you said, not every day, I, you know, I like to call it going through the dirt. Like sometimes I feel like I'm being drugged through the dirt, but you know, I have a decision to make. I can stop or I can play the victim and I don't want to be the victim. That doesn't help me and it doesn't help anybody else. So coming from a place of servitude, of gratitude really helps me to continue on this mission so that I know that I have a purpose and that I do want to give back to people, but it is difficult. It can be very difficult being a business owner and, you know, trying to figure out what your channel is or what your purpose is, or how do you give back, you know, and just kind of surrounding yourself with amazing mentors, you know, like yourself, John, reaching out to people that are doing good things, figuring out how do we help each other? How do we create a better life for other people too? And coming with that servitude attitude for me, it just, it works tremendously. Absolutely. And I love that. I mean, I believe collaboration is the fundamental key to any form of growth today, right? Too many people look at everybody's competition and you got to beat them down and, you know, pulverize them to get ahead. And you know what? My success is not based on your success and your success is not based on my success. I don't need to pulverize anybody to be successful. We can all lift each other up 
and be successful together. I have that abundance mindset and I believe there's enough out there. You just going to want to go out there and get it. Yeah. Very true. Love that. Yeah. Like you obviously didn't just wake up one day and come up with the book and come up with the uh, <laughs> empower her money journey. I mean, you built up to that. Like, let's go back a little bit. And where did you start? Like, where did everything start? I mean, yeah. 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 Where did everything start? Like, did you start out? Like, did you go to school? Did you bypass school? Like, what was your journey in the beginning? beginning, like, let's get into some of the uh, work you did leading up to this. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, even though I was going through what I did as a child, I feel like I've always had the entrepreneur spirit. And I've always loved numbers. And I've been fascinated by money from a very young age. So you know, going door to doors as six, seven year old kids selling, you know, um, origami with my cousins. Um, I had bracelet business when I was in middle school. And, you know, my Barbies played with play money. And so I've always been fascinated by just the the concept of having a business, of having money, even though no one taught it to me at that time and I didn't have it. So um, when I was in high school, I took an elective class and I saw this thing. And most of my math nerds will probably know this, but it's called the time value of money. And what it does is it shows in comparison if I started um contributing to a retirement account at 21 versus 30, the difference in how much you had to put in that account and what it grew to. And I was just so fascinated by that. So um, I went to college. I put myself through college. It took me five years to finish college because I had to work a couple jobs to do that, but was determined to finish that. And um, I originally thought I wanted to help people learn about money by being a stockbroker. So there was probably the silly movie like Boiler Room or something like that, that, you know, really sparked my interest. Um, but when I went through that, I was um, with the team at Bank of America, had amazing mentors, but I learned pretty quickly that that was not the right avenue for me. So went through a tech bubble burst in that world and got out. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe real estate. I'm going to help people find homes, invest in homes, build their wealth through real estate. And then I went through that housing bubble. Um, so I'm good at entering markets at the wrong time, but I learn a lot. And I'm a very inquisitive person. I ask for help. I reached out to mentors and I spent probably about 15 years. I still do real estate investing. Um, I had a number one REMAX office for about five years and grew that. And so that was an amazing um, opportunity. I exited that company. I started an insurance company here in Florida. And then we went through a crazy tough market. So again, I learned how to enter markets at the hardest time, but I grow through them. So um, I built that insurance company. I exited that. And now I wanted to be able to take all of that information that I've learned and put it into a platform which I can educate women because that's really my target market for me. Um, that's my why is, you know, helping other women with money and taking those years of being, you know, in the financial advisor world and real estate investing, insurance and numbers and just money in general. And this year I launched Empower Her Money. And between speaking events, the book, my podcast, it just has taken off, which tells me there's really a need for this type of education that women are looking for money education. And I want to deliver it in a simple, easy to find platform. You know, um, YouTube is free, podcasts are free. And if I can just reach more women and teach them about money, then that's just incredible for me to, to be able to empower them so that they can take control of their own life and help their families and help generations grow because now they're going to give back and teach other people as well. Wow, that is powerful. 
I I got two things out of that that uh, I, I want to bring up, and it's sort of like I want to go two different directions at the same time, so it's kind of comical here. But I'm going to start off with the um, one thing we have in common here is that we tend to do things on the uh, – I want to say on a downturn, we tend to start opening things that are on the downturn, (laughs) right? It's kind of backwards, but backwards in a way. But the other thing is that I I got out of that is that with your education, you uh, took extra years because you had to work part-time and all that. Or Where I'm going with this is that, did you take a student loan? I did take a student loan at 0% interest just to have as a safety net just in case. Um, but I paid it back as soon as I was out of school because I didn't want to have, you know, the student loan debt. But I, you know, I know it's a little bit harder for people today because I went to school in the late '90s, early 2000, and the cost for college was much different. But I did do community college first, got what I needed, transferred to the four year after. So I wanted to keep my costs down, but I also wanted the education. So I did not leave school with debt. I had zero debt when I left school. And that's why I brought it up without you even saying it. I kind of knew that answer. Um, it was a little different than what I was expecting. But the end result was exactly what I was expecting. And um, and here's what I mean. I didn't think you took on the student debt because you said you worked. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying that is because that I haven't come across a lot of people that say, oh, well, it's so hard to go to school, you know, and, and I'm like, did you work in the summer? Well, no. You work during the year. Well, I can. I'm in school. And I'm like, mm, I think that's the problem. Yeah, I had it. I had a job that was 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday, went to school, and then I worked nights during the week. And then weekends. I mean, I worked every single day, so I did not give myself a choice to not work because I had to pay. I had to pay my bills, right? Absolutely, and that's my point, right? So when I say this stuff, people look at me like I'm talking a foreign language, mm-hmm. and it's like, no. Once upon a time, that's the way we did things. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not knocking student loans. Don't misunderstand me. But all I'm saying is, it is possible to actually go and earn money, save money, so that the amount you have when you graduate is minimal. It doesn't have to be this overwhelming amount that's, uh, you know, unmanageable. There is a way and there's opportunities. And I think it's better to extend the amount of time you're in school if that means you can pay for it without the debt mm-hmm. or minimal amount at least. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but anyways, that's just a theory I wanted to go. And I had a feeling that <laughs> I was on the right path with that. But anyways, moving forward with the uh, whole, you you got into uh, insurance, you got into Remax, uh, you had a Remax office, and you excelled at it. And you you point you, you brought up a point there. You did it on the downturns. Mm-hmm. Now that must have been not not exactly easy. And there's obviously there's I believe again, markets up, there's opportunity. Markets down, there's different opportunity. There's opportunity uh, in both. But when you got in there, like, did you know you were going in on a downturn, or did you get in and then it happened? I got in and then it happened. All right. Okay. So how did you deal with that? Like, cause you said you were still one of the top offices. Now, how did you handle that? And I mean, how did you, you know, change things and what did you alter? What did you do to basically counter everything that was happening? Yeah. So when it came to the real estate, one, I found partners that are good at things that I'm not good at. And we learned how to keep our marketing expenses really low and to do things, you know, um, in the early stages we were, Craigslist and open houses and door knocking, you know, it takes time to do it. But if you don't have a budget, then you got to look for avenues and which, you know, fits within your budget. Um, When it came to the insurance market, what I learned is because we were going through a downturn in Florida and it was a very stressful market, 
there is opportunity in purchasing other companies that did not want to be in business anymore. Like they'd been in business a long time. They don't want to deal with the downturn. It's a lot of work. It's frustrating. And that's a great opportunity for you to look for people who want to exit and to grow by acquiring other companies instead of, you know, just going and doing your normal activities. Um, and I think that that right now, this is an incredible time period. We have more baby boomers right now wanting to get out of their companies, but their kids don't want to take it over. So they're looking for someone to help take over their company, take care of their employees, take care of their clients. So if you are in, in, in an industry and you're a business owner, you should be seeking out people who want to exit right now. It's an incredible time for you to buy businesses. They're calling it like the greatest wealth transfer is going to be happening in the next five or seven years. And to be able to acquire other companies and add to your bottom line, add to your employee base, add to your client base, and just take care of that exiting seller um, through creative financing. I mean, there's so many ways that you can keep the seller involved and help them feel good about their company being sold. And again, I go back to just being grateful and serving other people. And when you when you deal in business in that way and you create that win-win for other people, it just feels good. And then everybody is happy. Your employees are going to work hard for you. Your clients are going to stay by your side. And then you're helping someone else, you know, get out of an industry and move on to that next stage of their life, but also create opportunity for yourself for growth. Um, so I just think of right now is a huge opportunity for business owners and you really should be seeking that out. Absolutely. I love that. And that is so true, right? Like it takes a lot of work to go out there and acquire a customer. Now let's take a, I'll start off with the real estate part here, right? Like you said, door knocking and, and cold calling, they take forever and a very small amount of people are going to say yes. It's not that nobody will say yes, but it takes a lot of effort, a lot of grit, and it seems daunting. Yes. I mean, being that I have my agent's license, I kind of know that. But acquiring a company that has a, already clientele that are inbound, which insurance is there because it's just repeat clients, mm -hmm. and you, you acquire a different client, and you grow, you're, you're growing other people's clientele, you're building up your own portfolio, you're getting employees. There's obviously room for reduction once you do that because you have your own employees plus the new company. Let's be honest, every company is going to have some um, cut downs in mm -hmm. expenses when you do acquire a company and that's just the way it is so now because look let's be honest if you have a company that has 20 people as an employee and you take on another company that has 20 people that extra clientele doesn't require 40 people you can probably do it with 30 people so you know 10 people are going to be gone right so that's just part of the transition but the point is 30 people so your the, the, the staffing on both sides have shrunk for a lack of better description so expenses have brought down and income is instantly brought up so that's remarkable mm -hmm. now the key question is and a lot of people are gonna say hey that's nice for people who have money but how do you acquire your com companies when you have very minimal amount of money yeah so you approach the seller um if you purchase a company and you give them cash say for example or a loan up front they're gonna pay taxes on that full amount year one well if you structure it say over 10 years instead and you're gonna pay them over those 10 years instead of all up front you're creating a better tax structure for that seller. And then you're giving them an income stream during their retirement or whatever else they're moving towards. So thinking about the creative financing piece, the seller oftentimes will take back a note and maybe you're going to pay them interest instead of the bank, which will really cut down on your expenses and the time and paperwork it takes to get a loan. The seller knows the business. 
They know the revenue is coming in. If they're being honest with their numbers, then they know you're going to be able to pay the loan back because the income is being generated. So talk to the seller about a creative financing. I've seen it where um, people have acquired companies with zero dollars. Like they bought the company for a dollar and then just revenue share with that seller for 10, maybe 15 years. Then the seller still gets to be active and involved with their own sphere. Like they're still going to refer business to you because they know they're getting paid on it. So it's a win-win. You've got to look at how can I be creative in this industry and grow and help the person on the other side. And when you look at it from that angle, you're going to create incredible opportunities for yourself as well. Love that. Absolutely true. Now, here's the question, right? For uh, people looking to sell, someone wants to sell and they hear this and they turn around and say, what guarantees do I have? What if I agree to this and the person who buys my business runs it to the ground? What do I do then? No guarantees in life. We're not promised tomorrow. I could pass away tomorrow and then that deal just goes away for both of us. Um, so get to know the person that you are in business with really ask them questions, spend time with them, know that their core values and the way that they approach and think about life and business aligns with yours. Because if you don't, and you end up getting in business with someone who maybe isn't on the same line, like the same wavelength as you, then yeah, you could create an opportunity that ends up not being a win for you. But if you do your research, you get the right a lawyer, get the right paperwork in place, and you stay involved enough in that company with the employees and generating referrals and continued business, then you then it's going to be a win for you. But you've got to approach it like anything else you do in life. If you don't do your research first, then shame on you. Oh, love that. I love that. It's all about responsibility and taking ownership of it. Yes. Fantastic. Now, with you sold, like you got out of Remax, you got out of the insurance business. And why did you choose to exit and how did that look? Yeah, so the last company, my insurance company, um, I had built and I had purchased four other companies, rolled it into mine. I like the building part of the you know growth of the company. Um, the growth by acquisition was a lot of fun for me. I learned a lot. I learned what to do, what not to do. And I'm sure there's many more things I could have learned. Um, but the reason why I got out of the insurance business this past year is because, yes, the market in Florida is extremely tough. And it wasn't aligned with my values. Um, I was under um, a, a franchise that just wasn't working for me anymore. They were going in a different direction than what I thought was best for me and for my business and for my clients. And when you know that tomorrow's not promised, then you want to live your life with purpose. And I knew that I was not serving my clients the best way because I wasn't happy with where the company and the structure and everything was going. And so I found someone who was willing to, you know, buy me out. We did a creative financing deal. So I'm still very much involved in helping them and their business grow. But now I get to do something that aligns more with my purpose. And I just enjoy life so much more now that I'm doing something and taking the years of education that I've had to give back to other people. And again, not to say it's easy. There's a lot of hard work. I'm still full time, sometimes seven days a week, you know, taking time off as needed. But I'm, I'm in a place where now I really feel like I'm serving people. And that's more important to me. Absolutely. So that uh, you also said you had real estate investments. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I've done the single family and the flips for a long time. The last couple of years, I've just started getting into the multifamily space. So more of apartment complexes and storage units. But you know, again, I do the same thing I tell my clients, like you got to do your due diligence up front, know the partners that you're investing in, make sure you've interviewed them, you feel comfortable with them, like their business plan is what my business plan would be. And I want to create generational wealth and passive wealth so that I can spend more time serving people and not necessarily worrying about the income at the end of the day. Because when you do something for income, you're not doing it for the right reasons. And people will be able to tell that. So I help people with real estate investing as much as possible. I do have my real estate license. I've had it for 17 years now. And so I continue to keep that education so that I can learn so that I can teach other people too. Now, do you still practice with your license or is that is there a different purpose or is it for your own self? It, it's just for me. Yeah, I'm not out with buyers or sellers. I'm not doing contracts. I haven't done it in a few years. So I would definitely refer that to someone who's more knowledgeable in this market. Fantastic. Now, how do you decide what investments you want to get in and what investments you do not want to get in? Like, what is your criteria? Yep. So I look for cash flow right now. I'm at a time in my life where the cash flow is more important than the appreciation. Um, I do want to make sure that the partners that I'm going in with are, um, you know, Christian, God-centered people that just want to be able to help. Um, it's not necessarily about squeezing every penny out of the renters. I want to make sure that the the projects are where, you know, people are comfortable living. It's safe. It's you know, an environment in which I feel like I would would potentially live as well. And then just looking for the right partners, making sure that we are looking at the numbers, that we've looked at everything that could possibly be looked at when it comes to a property. Um, I visit my properties as well. Even as a passive investor, I will go take a look at it because I want to know what I'm investing in. And, you know, um, knowing that it's long term, when you give money over to someone to buy an apartment complex, you're not going to get that money back for a long time. And you have to be comfortable with that. Um, so just going through those steps to make sure that it's comfortable for me as the investor as well. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Now, which brings us up to today and where you're what in your journey today. So we've covered your past. We've covered how we got here. Now, going forward, who is your ideal client and describe what working with you looks like? Yes. So my goal right now is to be the number one podcast for female entrepreneurs. Um, I just started this podcast journey this year. And I already have recorded as of this show, um, 60 different female entrepreneurs. So my client right now are women who are doing incredible things, whether they're a CEO in their company or they're a business owner, every person has learned something about money. And so in order for me to further my mission to teach people, teach women about money, I want to share other stories. And so I look for other women who are doing something amazing in their life and ask them to share their story with my audience so that more women can hear from all different aspects of life. And I definitely want to make sure that I have a podcast that is giving information to people that they can go ahead and use in their business, in their life, and just implement these ideas immediately. That's your idea client. That's exactly what you do. Now, what's the structure of your business? Like what you're, you're creating the podcast, you have the podcast, you're giving out the information. What is the, uh, how do you monetize for a lack of better description? 
Yeah. So I have two ways that um, guests can podcast with me. They can go the free route, which is uh, where I'm going to just put it on like Spotify and YouTube. And we're going to do a podcast and still share their story because I do know that um, them sharing their story is going to help my audience. But I also have the opportunity to be on Roku and Amazon. And so if a guest wants to sponsor that podcast or have a commercial in that podcast, then that's going to charge a, a small fee. And it's not a huge fee. But again, I just want to be able to promote their business and also pay for the cost of being on TV as well. So it just depends on what the guest wants to do. That's the way that I monetize it. And obviously, the book has done amazing. It's given me some speaking opportunities, which allows some monetization too. But you know, it's just how can I get in front of more people to help empower others? And that's, that's you know where I kind of want to spend my time at. Absolutely. Amazing. I mean, what a great journey. What a great story. Thank you. There's going to be a lot of people out there that are, you know, inspired and want to start their own journey and they're scared. I mean, let's be honest, taking the, like, if you, especially if you're working your nine to five and you're doing something, most people are looking to jump the nine to five is because they're miserable doing it, but they're scared to take that leap. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for guidance or reassurance of some sort. What would you say to that aspiring entrepreneur that is uh, hesitant to uh, take the leap? Yep. So step number one is to know your finances, know what your income is, know what your expenses are, and really take control of that. Cut out anything that you don't need right now. Because if you're going to start, you know, say maybe a, a business on the side while you're still working, cut your expenses so that you can just be very frugal with your money. And the sec second step is to invest in yourself. Figure out what it is that you want to learn more about and find the platform that best teaches you. I'm an audio person, so I listen to podcasts every time in the car. If I'm at home, I listen to podcasts because that's the way that I absorb information. So you've got to know who you are and how you like to learn and find a platform. I mean, there's so many free opportunities, right? We have podcasts. We have YouTube. People are doing free webinars all the time. Um, just be cautious because most have some type of product they're going to sell. So know that your budget is most important to you. So that's why I say invest in yourself as two after you figure out what your own financial picture looks like. And then just start. Do one thing and keep doing it until it creates an income for you. And then add another product or another service. But just start with one. That way you're not overwhelming yourself, but then you're learning, how do I create an income from this? You know, Find something you like to do, obviously would be amazing, um, but stick with one thing first. So know your numbers, invest in yourself, and pick one thing and start that one thing first. Amazing. Touching upon the whole investing in yourself. Now, what do you? What are your thoughts in terms of uh, having a mentor? Mentor is so important. I mean, if you think about all the most incredible people that have accomplished big things in life, they've always had coaches. They've always had mentors, whether it's sports, whether it's business. I've always had a coach. I've always looked for mentors. So important. And you don't always have to pay for them. There are people in your life that are willing to share and give back to you and spend some time with you. Just be cautious of their time. You know, don't ask for too much, especially if they're do doing it for free. Um, but there are so many places that you can look for mentors and coaches and that you don't have to pay for. But if you're going to find someone that you pay to coach or mentor you, make sure they show you how they've actually accomplished what it is that they're teaching. Because anybody could coach, anybody could be a mentor. But if you have someone who's coaching or mentoring you that hasn't done it before, then they're really not going to help you out. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. So like, for example, um, I've coached about money and finances. And if you want to see what I've accomplished in my life 
why I teach what I do, I'm an open book. I'll show that to you. Um, so just make sure that they're an expert in the field that you want them to teach you in. Love that. I was going to ask you, how do you determine who's coming? I mean, look, with the internet, there's all kinds of internet gurus and social media gurus. Um, but the only thing you have to do to be a guru is just to claim that you are one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're actually effective. So right. I was going to ask you on how you break that down. But you're right. If you're an open book and they can show you, that's how you break it down. That's how you figure it out. Don't take somebody at the word. Mm -hmm. Show them what they're Let them show you what they've done and how they can help you. Right. And if they are an expert, they're going to show it to you. If they give you any pushback, then that tells you there's a red flag. Move on. Love that. Absolutely love that. With that being said, you've had a lot of transformations in life. Where do you see yourself going? I mean, like you're in the entering point, like where do you hope to be in five years? Yeah. So the podcast is still going to be my main platform. I see, I see that at least for the next five years, I want to create an environment um, where I can just give and serve. And because I've done well enough in my life up until this point, money is not my driver anymore. It's serving. And so taking the podcast platform to be able to reach other people and who knows, maybe this becomes a global thing where I'm able to go to other countries and teach women in other countries that don't have the opportunities that we do here in the U.S. Teach them how to take control of their money. Teach them how to take care of their family and to be in control and create an income, maybe have a business. You know, there's so many opportunities for us in the U.S. that the other countries don't have. So how do we further that mission by by helping women that are not here locally. That would be something that would be just hugely inspiring for me to do later. Fantastic. Now, looking backwards, is there anything you would have changed, you know, if you had the opportunity to go back and change it? Or do you believe it's really everything that's happened has really led you to where you are today and you really couldn't change it because you'd be somebody different? Yeah, um, I wouldn't change anything. It, it got me to the point that I am today. I've made a lot of mistakes in my careers and I have invested in, in, in different avenues where I lost money. I have done projects where it didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. You know, I'm divorced. So I've been through that channel of my life, but it's brought me to who I am today. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm a Christian woman and this is just the path that God's created for me and I'm along for the ride. So I, I wouldn't change anything. I just would continue to learn and know that the mistakes that I've made, I can share with other people and hopefully that will help them on their journey too. Fantastic. And later time, I'm going to get down to two more questions before I go into what I call the lightning round. All righty. Awesome. Second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? For me, it starts the night before I'm planning my days. Like my Sunday night is how I plan my week. And I start my day with one a win, which is making my bed. It's a very small win, but I feel accomplished. And I think when you feel accomplished first thing in the morning, you're creating momentum. Um, I also journal. So I'm writing what my goals are every day. And then I'm writing what I'm grateful for. So that when I start the day on that positive note, it helps no matter what gets thrown at me during the day to know that this is just part of my journey. And so that's my win in the morning is controlling the morning. Amazing. All right. For anyone listening or watching and they want to uh, reach out to you or find you, where would they go? Yep. Instagram, TikTok. I am Empower Her Money. That's the name of my podcast as well. Um, on LinkedIn or Facebook, it's Angela Duncan and it's Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N. Amazing. All right. Let's get into the lightning round with question number one. What is your favorite food and why? Ah, so my favorite food is Japanese. I am a quarter Japanese. So anything rice, noodles, fish related, that's my favorite. 
Interesting. I just learned something about you. I did not know that you had you were you know had Japanese there. Interesting. Awesome. Amazing. And favorite travel destination and why? Um, that I've been to would be Japan. I visited that right before COVID, and it was the cleanest, nicest country that I have been to, and I've been through quite a few. I'm not gonna lie; I've never been there, but I am very curious and want to go see it. Awesome. Uh, favorite podcast and or book. Yep. Um, so Tony Robbins wrote a book and I forget the name right now, but it was recently and it's all about money. I mean, it's like this thick and I read it within a few days. So that was my favorite, most recent book. Podcast would be Farnoosh or Nicole Lappin. Both of them talk about money and business and huge mentors of mine. Awesome. I've read the Tony uh, Robbins book too. I know exactly which one you're talking about. I just forgot the name. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. Now, the last question is going to be, if you were given unlimited amount of money with 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep, what you don't spend gets taken away, what would you do? Financial education across the con like across the world. Make sure that everyone on, on every continent that needs to have financial education, I'm funding it. Amazing answer. It has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show.